Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Right. Well, welcome, Inspire. Oh, man, it's uh, it's uh, honestly a joy to be here. Um, as Philip said, uh, I've been someone who's kind of got to know Inspire's story from afar, from my relationship with him, and through kind of helping behind the scenes. And I just want you may know this, you may not, but this is a special church, and I'm so grateful for for Philip, for also your leaders. You have special leaders who care for you, and so uh, yeah, it's just a real privilege to be here. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak and to encourage you with some of the way the words encourage me. So today we're gonna to be looking at a text in 2 Corinthians chapter four. And so it should come up on the screen. It's 2 Corinthians four, one through six at some point. But first I wanna pray and then we'll just jump in, all right? Father God, we're grateful for your grace to us today. We're grateful, each one of us, Lord, we come in here with burdens, with struggles, with things we don't think anyone would understand, but we know you understand. We come in here And God, we ask that you would speak. We ask that you would speak through your word, that you would speak as we worship, as we greet one another. God, let your words uh, hit our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this text that we're studying today is from Paul, who was a church planter, uh, someone who traveled and helped establish new churches. And he's writing a letter to one of the churches that he started in a city called Corinth which was this Roman colony. It's about 50 to 60 miles from Athens. If you're thinking about Athens, it's a big major city. It's about as far from where we are today as like Santa Cruz. That's where Corinth was. And if you know anything about Corinth or if you studied that book, there's 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you realize pretty quickly that this wasn't a place that was easy to live and thrive as a Christian in. It wasn't a place that was conducive to Christian faith. And so the church that Paul's writing to in these letters is the very first church in Corinth. These are first-generation Christians, and they're attempting to live out their faith in this difficult environment. And so it's a very relevant group of people. Whenever we read Corinthians, I think, oh, it's just, it's to us in the Bay Area. It's great. And these are people that Paul would have known really well. They are people he would have spent time with. They're not someone he's just writing a letter to. They're people he would have known their names. It's a group of Christians that he's written letters back and forth to. It's a group that he keeps in close contact with. And it's a group that he helps, like, helps navigate some problems and some difficulties they have, some internal disputes. And if you really think about Corinthians, you just realize this is a church, not just a, a city, but a church with all kinds of problems and all kinds of challenges. Uh, the church in Corinth, it has factions, it has disagreements. It has theological conflict. It has conflict about sexual ethics. Uh, Does that sound familiar to anyone? Yeah, it's actually strangely encouraging to realize that this church, the church in Corinth, faced all the same kinds of problems that most churches today face. Sometimes the Bible world can seem like really far away, but you read something like this and you realize, oh man, people have been dealing with issues and difficulty and challenges in the church and in life for thousands and thousands of years. And I think this is amazing because this is happening even though this church was started by Paul. Even though they had direct access to someone who we recognize today as this incredible apostle, this incredible leader, someone who wrote a bunch of the Bible that we read, their church still had problems. And I'm just saying, Philip didn't come here and ask me. He just said, preach whatever you want. Okay, it's not like he said, like, come preach to my church for problems. It's not like that at all. But I, I want us to just recognize in kind of in, in context here that this wasn't a perfect church. And, and at least for me, that's encouraging because every church is imperfect. As Phil mentioned, our, our family, my wife Rachel and I, uh, we helped start a number of churches. We've had the, the privilege of being able to do that. We worked in Thailand for a couple years, helping to start and serve an imperfect church. 
We moved to Japan with a team of people and we started what's now a family of imperfect churches in some of the major cities in Japan. And then we moved to San Francisco about uh, nine years ago and I've helped plant and pastor two imperfect churches, one of which closed during the pandemic. And so I'm very experienced with imperfect churches. It's genuinely, it's all I know. And my guess, this is my first Sunday being here. I've been in the building before and had a tour, but this is my first Sunday. And I'm guessing that Inspire Church is an imperfect church as well. Amen. Thank you from the pastor. I'm not exactly sure how it's imperfect, but I'm pretty confident that it is. And I look forward to looking at all the imperfections and writing a very spirited Yelp review for you guys. I'm just kidding, but all churches are imperfect. It's important for for us to realize that, that all of the churches, our family that we started with, every church that you've ever been a part of with, uh, been a part of is imperfect. They're all imperfect. And if you had the time, I could tell you about all of the imperfections of the churches that I've started. And in a lot of ways, some of them flow out of my own imperfections. And this reminds me of something that John Ortberg said of people in his book, which is titled, Everyone is Normal Until You Get to Know Them. Everyone is normal until you get to know them. That might be true of your own experience, right? And in this book, Ortberg has this kind of interesting analogy that he uses of of going to like a clothing store where all the clothes are imperfect, where they all come with an as-is tag. If anyone's like old enough to remember like the precursor to like Ross or Marshalls, there are these clothes and they like imperfect clothes, you know, and some of them are really obvious. You'd be like, this pant leg is not right. It's like too wide or too narrow or the holes are not in cool places, you know? Um, and, and you, you know, you go to a place and you just realize, you know, yeah, as is clothes, you know, they have these imperfections, but what's interesting about some kinds of as is clothes, they'd like to hide their imperfections. They're tricky, right? Anyone's clothes tricky? Like their pants got smaller during the pandemic. Anyone's clothes? <laughs> Playing tricks? Yeah, mine have. But some as-is clothes hide what's wrong with them. They look totally fine at first, and then you bring them home, and you wear them out, and you just realize, something, something smells funny. There's, something, there's like a seam that doesn't fit right. Something itches. And like clothes, like people, churches should come maybe with an as-is tag just to warn us ahead of time, just to remind us when we come in the building that we come as is. Imagine if Inspire Church are people with those signs and it's like, welcome to Inspire. Something's wrong with us. Come find out what. And I'm really only half joking and I say this, all of this about imperfect churches, right? Not, not to just say that because there's imperfections that uh, there aren't some churches that are toxic or even healthy, don't wanna be part of, and I don't wanna relieve leaders from any responsibility to build healthy and holy churches, but just sort of temper and reorient our expectations. And that's one of the things that Paul's letters to the, first, the people in, in Corinth and the First Corinthians church uh, teach us. And you know, people, we often talk about these wonderful churches that were happening in the Bible or these incredible churches in third world countries. And we can often become unfairly critical of our own churches, maybe even without knowing it. And I've studied uh, about churches in the first century and I've worked with churches internationally. And guess what? They all have problems. They all have problems. And the existence of these letters to the church in Corinth, they remind us that even with the best leaders, Corinth had Paul, they also had Apollos, they had Priscilla and Aquila. Paul sends them Titus, like a who's who of the New Testament. They were an imperfect as-is church filled with imperfect as-is people. And as a person, if you knew my story, my own as-is tag would need to be very large so you could have a warning of who I am. I find the reality and the inevitability of as-is churches and leaders very encouraging. And I hope you do too. And so it's to this as-is church that Paul, an as-is leader, writes the text we're going to look at today. 
And if, if you, just a little bit more context here, uh, apparently this church isn't very impressed with Paul. At a few points in the, in the letters to the Corinthian church, you realize that there seem to be a number of people who are questioning Paul, his leadership, his authority. They're wondering if he's legitimate, uh, especially compared to some of the other leaders and teachers they've been hearing from. And so Paul, he's been facing all kinds of struggles, all kinds of challenges, he's even facing some suffering. And there was a group of people who saw that and just thought, man, if, if that's what this guy's going through, he, he probably shouldn't be a pastor or an apostle. They even thought his preaching and his teaching was lacking compared to some of the other people. They were like, man, there's some other guys, they're really good. And so Paul writes this letter again, an imperfect as his leader to an imperfect as his church. So that's all context. Let's look again at 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. I'll read it for you. Therefore, having this, mercy, this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning to, or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's an interesting passage. Maybe some things jumped out for you. There are a number of truths or ways you could apply a text like this. But as I thought about this present cultural moment, uh, in the middle of this global pandemic that doesn't seem to go away, in the midst of a difficult season for many people, maybe for you, for many churches, I just want to focus the study of our text around something Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1, when he says, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Just like right now, just like today, there were plenty of reasons then for Paul to be discouraged when he wrote to the Corinthians. There were challenges inside and outside of the church. There was a famine that Paul was trying to raise relief money for, and it wasn't going great. There were people who were questioning Paul's gifting, his legitimacy, his care for the Corinthian church. Uh, listen to how Paul describes this burden that he and his friends have been carrying. This is 2 Corinthians 1.8. He says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's Paul writing, utterly burdened, despairing of life itself. Has anyone felt that way in this past year? Yeah. I have. Yeah. Paul did. And this is the reality that he's writing from, surrounded by circumstances that should just crush him. And yet he says twice in 2 Corinthians chapter four, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. In verse one and verse 16, he repeats it. We do not lose heart. And if you read a text like this, it's, it, the question we should probably be asking ourselves is why isn't Paul discouraged? How can he continue in confidence in faith? Why is he encouraged when his circumstances should crush him? And so that's what I want to answer today. We're going to look at four reasons that Paul doesn't lose heart in spite of his circumstances. And then we're going to consider what this meant for Paul and maybe some ways it could mean something for us. So what Paul actually tells the Corinthians, one of his letters, I love this about Paul, even though he's imperfect, even though he's as is, he says to them in 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to study why Paul isn't discouraged so we too can attempt to follow his example. 
So let's jump into the reasons Paul doesn't lose heart. My first point, number one, if you're a note taker, Paul doesn't lose heart because number one, his ministry is a gift from God. His ministry is a gift from God. Right off the bat, verse one, Paul says this, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Again, remember there are people in Corinth who are questioning Paul's ministry. They're questioning his gifting as a speaker. They're questioning his authority as an apostle. They see the hardships he's facing and they conclude that he's not the right guy. Uh, This doesn't seem to be maybe the formal leaders of the church, but nevertheless, it's some sizable group of people who are talking about this somewhat openly. And if you're a pastor, guess what? This would be like really discouraging, like extremely discouraging to say the least. Imagine if in your own job or your school or with your coworkers, your clients, your classmates, someone, you know, there's a group of people and they basically just talk around like, yeah, I just don't think he's got it. I just don't think she can make the grades here. I don't know what she's doing here. You don't have what it takes. That's what Paul is facing, but it's even more hurtful because it's from a people that he has loved and sacrificed for and served. But Paul says here, he doesn't lose heart. Because for Paul, his identity or his sense of accomplishment doesn't derive from how his work was received. Instead, he views it as his ministry as an undeserved gift from God, a mercy. It wasn't something he was doing because he deserved it. He didn't earn this status as an apostle because of his own effort. No, he was called in God's gracious mercy to go and to serve these people as a church planter, as a pastor, and as an apostle. It's a mercy. Literally, if you remember Paul's story, if you're anything familiar with it, he goes from a persecutor to a pastor, from someone who's trying to destroy churches to someone who's trying to start churches, from someone who wants to kill Christians to someone who's willing to lay down his life for his brothers and sisters. It's this amazing transformation, but it happens because of Paul's mercy, not because of, Paul's, or because of God's mercy, because, not because of Paul's uh, efforts or his plans. It literally wasn't what he was wanting to do. And God did something in him and changed something. His work, his ministry was a calling from God. It was a gift he received. It was an undeserved mercy, not a reward. And so even when he faced hardship, he wasn't discouraged. He didn't feel entitled to his work, to his ministry. And so he didn't lose heart when someone tried to undermine him or question him. And I would think today you might even think, okay, cool, that's about ministry. What's up with that? I don't do ministry. But I would say all of us, we would do well to emulate Paul and follow his example in this. Because for each of us, we also have a ministry. I really do believe this, a calling, a vocation, a task that we are given by God to do in this season of our lives. And I have time to do like a deep dive into like the idea of vocation and how you discern your calling and that kind of stuff. But just for the sake of argument, let's just assume that what you're doing right now, your work, your school, your parenting, your friendships are your ministry. There's something that God calls you to steward and honor him in. Even if you're not yet Christian, like if you're here because my boyfriend dragged me or my mom made me, honestly, even that, I still believe there are things in your, God, in your life that God has given you to steward. We've all been given ministries. But the question is, do we see these ministries as a gift from God, as unmerited mercy, or do we see them as something we're entitled to, maybe even burdened by? Even if we went to school for it, even if we put the hours in for it, even if you worked hard to get this job or this relationship, I would still say that you're better served by seeing these ministries and callings as gifts from God rather than wages or status that we deserve. So how can we too not be discouraged? How can we too not lose heart? It starts first by seeing our lives, our work, our ministry and relationships as gifts from God. Parents, uh, Philip didn't mention this, uh, but I have five kids, five, like I live in San Francisco. It's, it, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, parenting is hard, but our kids are a gift from God. 
And there's someone, some couple that wishes they had the gift of children that we're exhausted by. Students, I know school's difficult. Some of you, maybe I'm not looking forward to going back to school. You know, I don't wanna do that. But there are kids who long and wish for the opportunity to be educated like we are. Your jobs, our professional lives, it's not perfect, I get it. And you're thinking, man, I just wish the weekend was longer. I don't wanna go back to work on Monday. But someone wishes, I really do think about this a lot, there's someone that your scenario, your job is like their dream scenario. As hard as it is. And if you're unemployed, they're like, man, I wish I had the skills that this person had. Someone wishes for the life that you wake up dreading to live. And so Paul reminds us here that one of the keys to not losing heart is to see all of our lives, everything, our ministry, our work, our relationships, all of it as unmerited mercy. Gifts given to us by a loving God. And again, this doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. Don't hear me say that. Paul's life and circumstances are intensely difficult. But when we begin to see life, all of it as this mercy, as a gift from God, we remind ourselves of that. We'll be less likely to lose heart, less likely to succumb to discouragement. All right, let's look at our second point. Second reason Paul doesn't lose heart. Number two, he doesn't lose heart because his methods are honorable for God. His way of working, his, his, his style of living, his method is, are honorable before God. In verse two, Paul contrasts the work that God has called him to do with how he sees others doing kind of similar stuff. And Paul, he's aware of other people who are seeking to influence the church in Corinth, and he explains how what he's doing is different and how he seeks to honor God with his uh, method of ministry. Let me read verse two. It says this, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. It seems like the church in Corinth has been listening to like the televangelists of their day. People who distort, who deceive, who preach for profit. And just like today, there are people who say they're pastors, who say they're apostles, who manipulate the Bible for selfish ends. This isn't a new phenomenon. This isn't like a new thing we're having to figure out. It's a challenge every church and every Christian throughout time has faced. Who will we listen to? What leaders will we allow to influence us? And I would say that maybe even it's especially difficult today because of the ubiquity of media. It's everywhere, social media. Each of us, we we sort of fashion and we choose and we curate for ourselves uh, uh, our own sets of teachers and influencers. With the podcast that we listen to, with the social media that we follow, with the news sources that we engage, we're all curating information that we will choose to believe in here. And Paul's words here, they remind us that this is challenging work and that there are some who seek to deceive, who distort. And I would say it's probably true of biblical truth, but also just truth in general. As we think of the media that, that were uh, around us today, almost all of it is driven by some kind of profit, some kind of benefit on the person that's giving it by a desire for a greater platform, by a need to get more likes or clicks or views. And it's a really difficult uh, environment to navigate. And so we need to have discernment. I think that's part of what Paul is reminding the Corinthian church of. We need to have discernment. And if we aren't being discerning, if we're not just kind of on guard that there are people who seek to distort and deceive us, we're we're inevitably going to have a distorted view of truth. And this is true of everyone, regardless of your political preference, regardless of the media that you engage. If we aren't on guard recognizing that there are people who seek to distort the truth, we're going to end up being deceived. And so Paul, he gives us a couple insights into how we can grow in discernment. He shows that we should look for voices that don't distort the data, that don't tamper with the truth. And he reminds us that we need to be on guard against deception, to listen to those whose methods are honorable, 
People who aren't afraid to engage the best arguments from other perspectives. And there's a lot more that can be said about all this in this whole world of navigating media and influence. And I'll let Philip do that when he has time and energy and the team here. But I want to make this more personal. Uh, I love that, like Paul, he shared that the, the, the message of the gospel openly and plainly with these methods that honored God. I want to say, too, that we, too, need to do our work, our callings and our ministries with methods that are honorable in the sight of God. We should be all be able to strive to say of our work and relationships, look at how I've lived and worked among you. I haven't attempted to deceive anybody. That's basically what Paul is saying. My methods haven't been shameful. He's like saying, like, even if you don't like me, if we stood before a judge, if we stood before God, we'd both have to say he lived with integrity. That, that is what Paul is saying and how different the world would be if every follower of Jesus could confidently say that about our relationships. I was recently with a friend a former pastor who stepped out of formal ministry about 10 years ago to create a home construction business. He really, he didn't have, he lives in the Midwest. He didn't have really any experience in doing construction. I think he'd built his own house, but it wasn't like he was like a contractor or anything like that. But the city that he lived in was destroyed by, I mean, majorly damaged. Thousands of homes were destroyed by a major tornado. And uh, it, was a, it was a massive deal. It was one of the largest uh, tornadoes in American history. And he knew there was going to be a major need for homes to be built, and there weren't enough home building groups. And so he and another Christian friend, they started this business. And over the past decade, it's just totally exploded. It's now one of the 100 largest home builders in America. It's just kind of this, this crazy, this, no, this thing doesn't happen. That, where something like that just goes from nothing, no experience, to a massive company. And I was with him this summer, and I was just asking him about his new work and this, this new ministry he's doing outside of the church building homes and just saying, like, hey, man, like, what have you learned? Like, what are some takeaways from this experience? And he told me just two things I thought were really interesting. The first is that he just said how amazing it is how far basic integrity will take you. Like just basic, do what you say you'll do. <laughs> Don't lie to people, which is very uncommon in his industry. And it massively differentiates their company from another company. They don't deceive people. Almost like they, they weren't smart enough to deceive people. Does that make sense? They just were like, I don't know, this is what it costs. And people are like, oh, wow, that's crazy. You're telling the truth. <laughs> Don't deceive people. Don't hide your pricing. Don't distort. Just plainly tell the truth. This is one of his secrets to business success. It's amazing. And the second thing he told me kind of broke my heart and it was that he was surprised by the lack of Christian discipleship in the workplace. That people he knew his whole life, people who they were kids, that he, they were in his youth ministry, they weren't living with the kind of simple integrity that you would expect from a Christian. They went to church on Sunday, they tithed, they gave, but on Monday they cut corners, they cheated on their financial records, they lived one way on Sunday and another way on Monday through Friday. And his, in, his, in their minds, right, many of the principles they learned in church, they, they, they applied to this one like, part of their life, but as they stepped down to the world, it didn't really apply there. And so my friend, he says, the most important thing he does with his staff that are believers is to disciple them to live with Christian integrity in their work. That's it. That's like the main task is just help us live faithfully with honor and integrity all week. Inspire Church, I just want to say this could have the most amazing music. You already you have great music, you get the most incredible preaching. You could have the best services for youth and kids. You could have a world-class building all to yourself. All of this, all of that would do far less and have far less of an impact in the Bay Area than if each of us who were in this room would go out and live with radical integrity. I, I really believe that. And I, I, know, I know your pastor Phil believes that too. Because of our faith in Jesus, we live out in the world with radical integrity. That would mean so much more than any of these things we could do here on a Sunday. If we lived and worked with methods that honored God.
If we rejected shameful strategies, deception, distortion of truth, greed, I really believe not only would we see a massive increase in the number of people who are interested in the message of Jesus, we would also be ourselves profoundly encouraged. We wouldn't lose heart because we could stand before God and before our neighbor with a clear conscience knowing that we've lived with integrity. Let's look at our third point. I really want that for all of us, that second point, that we would be able to stand confidently before God and say, I'm living with integrity. I might not get it right. People may not like me. I may not have all the answers. I may not be the smarter, the most gifted person, but I'm here with integrity. I want that for each of us in this room. But our third point, Paul doesn't lose heart because number three, his message is that Jesus is God. His message is that Jesus is God. We see that in verses three through five. Unquestionably, without a doubt, the thing that gives Paul the greatest hope that sustains him and keeps him from discouragement is the gospel message that he preaches and believes. That Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord. Paul says in verses three through four that the message he is preaching is veiled to some people, like they can't see it. There are spiritual forces that were keeping people from understanding this message, this news that changes everything. Even though Paul says himself, man, I'm explaining it plainly and simply. It's a message that can only be understood when God opens someone's eyes and removes the veil that blinds them. Paul knows that. He knows that personally. And so he's not discouraged when people don't believe or respond to his message. He knows that conversion is a supernatural act in which God must remove the veil And so that people could, like the writer of Amazing Grace says, I love it, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Paul's job is to plainly share the gospel message, to believe it personally, and then to allow and to pray and believe for God to work supernaturally in the lives of those around him. We're to do the same. Paul says in verse four that Jesus is the image of God. In verse five, he says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul, he's reminding the Corinthian church of the gospel message, the truest source of encouragement, the bedrock on which Paul can live in crushing circumstances without ever losing heart. And I know many of us here, we know this message, but I think all of us need to be reminded of it. If you're new to exploring Christianity, even if you think you've rejected it, I want to just simply read a passage in which Paul very clearly lays out the gospel message, just just kind of the high points of the gospel, so that we could be reminded of it, hear it afresh, or maybe even hear it for the first time. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. It says this, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. This is it. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. And then he talks about himself. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. I just want you to have the context of what he's sharing and how it would look like in his own life. Friends, inspire church. This message is the message that Paul built his life upon. 
It's the message that changed everything for him. No matter what his circumstances were, no matter what he faced, he did not lose heart. This gospel, this message that Jesus died for our sins was a source of hope that he rose again in victory over sin and death. It was a source of strength and it's a message for everyone. For those of us who've believed as long as we can remember, we can come back to that message and receive hope and strength and encouragement. If you haven't believed, I can tell you in my own life and story, there's nothing more profoundly encouraging than the gospel message for day-to-day living. Today, we've looked at three reasons that Paul didn't lose heart. First, Paul viewed his ministry as a gift from God. And second, that because his ministry, his methods of ministry were honored before God, he didn't lose heart. And third, that he built his life upon the message that Jesus is God. And I just want to remind us that if we imitate Paul and if we do these things too, we can also be a people who face any circumstance without losing heart. It's a simple message today. But there's more. There's more for Paul and there's more for us. If we live like this, there is a fourth and a final reason that we can be encouraged. Paul doesn't lose heart because number four, his mission is unstoppable. His mission is unstoppable. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, the last section we're looking at today, Paul concludes this section by writing, for God, who said, let, and I want to pay attention to this word, light, shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I want you to catch, if you catch anything, catch this. Paul is doing something very interesting here. He's calling back to the opening of the Bible, to the very first command of God, In the context of darkness in Genesis 1, when everything was formless and empty, God says in Genesis 1, again, this is the very first command God ever gave. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Something inevitable and unstoppable happened that day. God speaking light into darkness. But there's more. I love for Paul that this idea of light, it's not just a metaphor uh, for good. It's not just a contrast to darkness. No, light and the idea of light is intensely personal for him. It's integral to his own story and his own experience with Jesus. It's part of how Paul understands his mission in the world. In the book of Acts, when Paul recounts his own conversion, his story begins with what? It begins with a bright light from heaven. I want to read Acts 26, uh, verses 13 through 18, just real uh, a section here where you see that idea of light. Again, look for the concept of light. It says this, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone all around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are being sanctified by me, by faith in me. Paul's conversion happened when he saw a bright light. In that light, he saw the voice and the face of Jesus. And from that moment, he was sent by God on this unstoppable mission to reflect the light of Jesus in the world. And so Paul, he faced hardship, he faced persecution, and yet he did not lose heart. And in doing this, he's fulfilling his role in the mission of God. The mission that God began in the book of Genesis when he said, let there be light, and there was light, bringing light into darkness, creating a people for himself through faith in Jesus. 
Paul's story is a part of that amazing story. The Corinthian church is a part of that story. Inspire Church is a part of that story. And your life and your calling and your mission is a part of that unstoppable story. As Jesus said to his disciples, this is Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. He said, what you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so friends, this morning, let us not be discouraged. Let us not lose heart. If you are a follower of Jesus, let the light that he has shined in your life shine out into the world, into the lives of your family and your neighbors, your coworkers, your kids, your friends, everyone. The light that you've seen in Jesus' face, let that light shine into the face of others. And and I love, I love, I love that the biblical story continues and we know the ending. In the book of Revelation, the description of this new home for the people of God, a new city. Let me read it for you. This is Revelation 21, 23. That does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it what? Light. And the lamp, the lamb is its lamp. Friends, if you see your life as a ministry from God, if your methods, your practice, your way of living amongst people is honoring to him, And if the message that you believe is that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord, your mission is unstoppable. You are part of this larger story where the ending is already known, this secure home forever with God, kept from eternal darkness, dwelling in the eternal light of Jesus Christ. So today, no matter what you're facing, do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious or angry. You can rejoice and live in light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus today and for all eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, shine your light. We need more of you and less of us. We need more of your light in our lives. God, when we seek to cover that light with our sin, with our shame, with our guilt, with our fear, God, uncover it. Shine your light into our lives. God, in this moment, as we are each individually here with you, Lord, shine your light in our life. Show us where we need transformation. Show us where we need forgiveness. Show us where we need grace or boldness. Lord God, I thank you for Inspire Church and the light that they are. I pray that their light would shine brightly because of the face of Jesus in their lives. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.